Hey, Soma Church. I want to jump in to the front of this podcast for two reasons. I've been already jumping in the front of these podcasts to let you know that Soma Downtown has its own podcast stream, the Soma Downtown Podcast, and you can search it on all major podcast uh, feeds where you get your podcasts. And yeah, do please do subscribe and hop on that feed soon because we are soon to stop posting in the Soma Indie Podcast stream, which we are still simultaneously posting in. But again, that's limited time. So I uh, just want to make you aware of that. But then more importantly for this episode, I want to let you know this episode has not explicit content, but it refers to very explicit words and content. And it, I make it very clear the words that I'm evoking uh, later on in the podcast. And I say them for very specific reasons. And I make my arguments why I think it's actually very it would be anti-biblical to not at least let you know the words that I'm trying to communicate. Um, but I, I just want to warn you, like in case you're like, you know, if that is going to uh, offend or if you're listening with children or something like that and you don't want to, you know, have some some conversations about about words that Pastor Kent is referring to, then yeah, does yeah, headphones. So uh, that is um, just my disclaimer on the front of this Um do listen through the, the whole thing uh, if you do start listening because I think you, you'll you'll understand uh, by the end. And I hope you do, and I hope it's helpful. Hey, everyone. I am jumping back on for a another midweek podcast. Again, still workshopping names here since I've been calling them mini pods, but sometimes they're going over an hour and that's not mini. That is not miniature. And so, uh, it's not a miniature podcast, but we'll see. Uh, either way, I was, I just released one yesterday and I actually planned to not release this one until next week, but I keep having the same conversation with people last week, this week, that this podcast pertains to. And I just think people need this now. And not like, you know, they need, like, I am, they need the words of me. Uh, you don't. You, you really, you know. Uh, but I, I do think I've been able to have this conversation with people, and it's been very helpful. And I, sometimes that's how I'm choosing what podcasts to do. In this time is just like if I end up having like three, four, five, six conversations, individual conversations about something and end up talking about the same thing, all of a sudden I'm like maybe this just needs to be a podcast. I just need to have like a group conversation with everybody. And so I want to talk about grieving and particularly how we grieve in relation to the current world that we're in, COVID-19, social distancing, canceled plans, canceled weddings or post or, you know, weddings that look highly different than what they used to be, death, loss of job, uh, loss of senior years, freshman years, potentially. I mean, there's tons going around. And I keep referring to the article put out by the Harvard Business Review, which is that discomfort you're feeling is grief. And it is a hugely popular article because it's helping people put mind to the fact that people are on edge, they're angry, they're frustrated right now. But actually, almost all the feelings that we're feeling right now are all relate to grief and relate to the experience of grief. You lose something, 
I mean, think about anger. Anger is actually not a primary emotion. It's a secondary emotion, uh, meaning it's not a root emotion, a root emotion. You don't start, it is a root emotion often, but it's not a root emotion. You, you don't start with anger. Anger does not start from the root of your soul. It will be something like fear. I'm afraid of losing something, and so I will be angry to protect it, or hurt. I've been hurt by something, and so I will react in anger to protect myself and to, uh, to push back. And with anger that comes from grief, it's it could be either. You could have, it could be, I feel like I've lost something. And so if I react in anger, maybe I can get it back. Maybe I can protect what I've lost or grief. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm hurt that I've lost this. And so now I'm reacting in anger. And so anger is the most common emotion I'm seeing right now. Everywhere, everywhere. I mean, it's just everywhere in America, but it's like, you know, just if we could have, even though we were at a 10 dialing to 11 before this, we're dialing now it up to 12. And whether it's anger or denial, I still am denying that this is a thing or that this is going to affect me, or if it's uh, despair, there's no hope, I don't know when this is going to end, I just feel blissless, and when is all this going to be over? Uh, bargaining, if I do this for so long, can I be done then? Or, you know, if I do these things, you know, will the world return to normal? Bargaining with God, bargaining with others, bargaining with... Yeah, it's all sorts of bargaining. And there's others. I think there's seven stages uh, we looked up in my MC last night. But I, I don't know what they all are at the top of my head. And it, that's not really the point. The point is, I just want to talk about grief in general and how to deal with it well. Because I hear a lot of people not dealing with it well. And not just the angry people. Uh, and actually, I think anger is not actually a bad way to deal with grief. In fact, it's, it's a stage of grief. You actually need to go through it. I think the ones who I see not dealing with it well are those who are spending too much time in the village of denial. And I refer to it as that because I'm referring to a way of conceptualizing the grieving process. And it's called the Three Village Journey. It was developed by international missionaries, and they developed it because they there's a missionary organization that that served populations across cultures, across hemispheres, across Eastern or Western traditions, and they all noticed there were some unifying factors to grief. That grief was somewhat universal. At least there were some universal tendencies uh, that really. You know, spanned over all other distinctions and all other uh, borders or differences, and they conceptualized it with the metaphor of the three village journey. And in the three village journey, you are imagining yourself going on some sort of journey. I kind of imagine it as a jungle because there's, you know, it's a lot of just like wandering and being lost. But yeah, so in my my head, it's a jungle. Before you enter the jungle, though, you're just kind of going along life. You're going along life, doing your thing, and all of a sudden, a traumatic event or a tragedy or, uh, yeah, hurt or loss occurs, and it can be big or small. And that's one of the biggest things that why people don't grieve well is because we always just, like, want to, like, rationalize everything off as first world problems, which can be a thing, you know. I, my classic first world problem that I was, you know, snicker at is, like, the, oh, my fridge gets so full on grocery day. So, yeah, well, you know, that's that's true. Uh, actually kind of a blessing. But, uh, yeah, 
at the same time, the first world problems gets us a little bit into what uh, there's a local author, Pete Gall, he refers to as the curse of the rich man in one of his books, uh, where it's like the curse of the rich man is who am I to complain? Like if you're rich or, you know, rich in something, rich in wealth, rich in looks, rich in something that the world perceives as valuable, you basically have to be like, who am I to complain? All the time. You can never have a problem because you've got something that the world wants. And so you always have to like preface all your problems or, you know, give the disclaimer on all your problems. Yeah, but who am I to complain? And so the curse of the rich man is you can never have a problem. And while, again, there's some reality, the fact of being grateful and being thankful and, and, and focusing on the positive at times, and we don't tend to do that well, and there's some realities there. But the problem is first world America sometimes has the curse of the rich man is like that we can never have a problem. And if you can never have a problem, you can never actually deal with the problem healthily in a way that is healthy. And, and so, yeah, first of all, big, small problems can enter you into the three village journey. It doesn't have to be loss of a loved one every time though, of course, that is going to do it. It doesn't have to be major disruption by loss of all your income, though that is going to do it. It can be small things. You go through this journey in microways and macroways all the time, so it's helpful to know. And it's also helpful to know that maybe it's a small thing, but maybe it was a really big deal for you. Maybe it was it triggered you in a way that was, you know, connected to some other things. And so everybody else, if you just put it on the scale of like, is this a big deal or a small deal? objectively, we would have to look at it and say like, well, it's kind of a small deal in relation to other problems, but for you, for your situation, for your background, it was a stinking huge deal. And that's okay. It's just good to recognize that so you can actually deal with the problem. I mean, there's always this sense, basically all these ways of not dealing with it are, are denial, which is a phase of grief. You do have to go through it. It's not an option. <laughs> you do have to do it and you will do it, but they're all just forms of being in denial. And denial is the one place along grief, a stage or the, the village. Uh, that, by the way, just to start into our metaphor. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to the metaphor. You go into, you're going along life and all of a sudden a traumatic event, big or small happens and it diverts you into the jungle going through these three villages. And the first village you come to is village of denial. Village of denial is just what it sounds like. You deny this isn't a problem, this is going to happen to me. You're doing whatever you can to deny the feelings. You could be uh, pushing yourself into an addiction, uh, whether that be a, a dangerous addiction like alcohol, drugs, uh, or or just a less, more benign addiction, but still an addiction, media, uh, sleep, um, you know, just escapist behavior. And so, uh, yeah, it's all just focused around like denying the problem, denying the feeling, denying your ability to feel the feeling, just pushing it away because it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. It's not up and to the right. So let's try to get rid of it. And like, maybe I don't have to feel it. In the village of denial, you wander around that village as long as you decide to remain in denial. It's the one village you can voluntarily leave and voluntarily stay in for as long as you want. In fact, some people never get out of it. You just sit there and deny it the whole time and continually to push down your feelings that I actually have a problem. This goes on. I, I want to come back to false bridges because you actually, this is the the reason that people stay in here so long is because they, they create false bridges to the third village. Um, and I, I want to come back to that, but let me first set up the other villages. The second village, 
is the village of No Hope. Everybody hates the second village. But there is absolutely no way to get to the third village without passing through the village of No Hope. And that's why you're in denial for so long. That's why you spend so much time wandering around the village of denial, refusing to go, because you, basically you're refusing to go to the village of No Hope. I will, I don't want to go there. I will do anything to go there. I don't want to break down with the reality that I am just hopeless and despairing and there's nothing I can do about it but just sit in that. Again, big or small things. Big things are going to have a bigger sense of despair. Small things are going to have a smaller sense of despair. But maybe a small thing is a big deal for you and it's going to give you an, a surprising amount of despair and you want to be like, well, I shouldn't have this. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. But at the end of the day, you do. And what's it matter if you should or you shouldn't? You do. And just to deny it is denying it and it's not helpful. And I don't know your story. I don't know what th that triggered for you. Maybe it actually is a really big deal if we, we peel back all the layers. Maybe you don't know your story well enough. You haven't gone through your story in your life and your history enough to know why it's triggering you the way it is. But it is. And you can deny it, but that's just hanging out in the first village for longer. And maybe just getting stuck there. And so either way, you wander from denial to no hope. And no hope, yeah, there's no way to get through no hope other than just sitting there. Sitting there and being present in it. And just letting it be there. There's no cure for that but time. And allowing the fullness of no hope to just be there. And people are just like, that's not hopeful. That's not good. Well, it, it, yes, true. By the name, it is not hopeful. There is no hope. And I know it, nobody in the world really wants to recognize that you just have to be in that village. But if you don't, be in that village, you're just in denial. You can kind of be in denial and in no hope at the same time. And if you get stuck in denial, you actually kind of get stuck between those villages. And that's actually the worst of all scenarios. So, yes, not fun, not exciting, but there's no other way to go. So, after the village of no hope, you can wander back to denial. You can go from denial back to no hope. You can bounce back and forth a lot. And then eventually, eventually you wander around the jungle enough and find yourself into the village of new beginnings. And the village of new beginnings is not a time where you forget what the tragedy or trauma or inciting incident was. It's not a time that it doesn't feel sad anymore or doesn't feel like a sense of hurt or a sense of loss. It's rather a time where you are able to live life in light of that loss, in light of that situation. And it can be a thing that happened to you. And you now don't have to deny that it happened. You don't live in no hope that it happened. It's just, it's part of your story. It's part of the way that you now interact with the world. It's the part of your incorporated wisdom. It's part of the way that you can now connect with others. So it's something that, again, doesn't, doesn't go away. It's just... It's just there. It just happens. And it's a place where now you can now experience a level of hope, a level of new, yeah, the, the title is New Beginnings. So I can now press into other ventures. I, I start to feel excitement again. I, fart, I, I start to feel things that are, I think I just said I fart. I, I was starting, starting to say I start to feel, and I just made that all into one big word, and it was I fart. Um, I had to recognize that. Couldn't go on. Uh, I won't deny that I said that. I'm not in the village of denial of saying that. 
I'm in the village of new beginnings, uh, where I start to feel hope. And, uh, so either way, I, I, yeah, I, new beginnings is a place where, again, it is this hopefulness, but it's not like a hopefulness that's like, again, forgetting, denying, moving beyond. It's a re it's integrating that experience into your life. And now it actually become, I mean, oh man, a great book, uh, Henry Nowen, The Wounded Healer. The subtitle is basically like your place of biggest weakness and, and wounding and hurt is the place that you can minister most profoundly to other people. I mean, whenever you receive hurt, that is once you go through the villages and become a resident of the village of new beginnings, that is ultimately where you're going to meet people in a place that's real and powerful and transformative. We are a people that serve a wounded healer. We serve, we serve a, a Messiah that was wounded and he healed from his wounds and we are served by and also become wounded healers. We heal from our wounds. And so this is not super linear. I mean, the whole wandering analogy, part of the jungle is meant to be purposeful. You can go from new beginnings back to denial and back to no hope. <laughs> and and you can be like, I was in new beginnings by this morning, but by lunch, I was in no hope. And then I went back to denial, denying the no hope. No, I'm not in no hope. I'm, I'm fine. But you are now, in fact, you're not even in no hope. You're in denial. And now you got to go back through no hope and back through new beginnings. And it can be dynamic. Any event can can re-trigger it. Um, and so it's a lifelong process. This is why, man, we have such a like unhealthy culture of emotional health and, and grieving in our, in our culture. Cause think about American culture. If you like, let's just say like a, a pretty horrific tragedy happens to you. Let's say, um, you lose a direct family member. So you like lose a child, a spouse, um, you know, just someone who is like, you are next of kin to, you know, if you are, uh, yes, like still like under your parents, like you lose your parent tragically. You might get a couple days off work, maybe a week, maybe two. I mean, three weeks seems like that's like a generous amount of time that I would not necessarily expect, but maybe you get that. Like, let's just give it, give you a month. Let's give you a whole month. Um, after that, most people kind of look at you and be like, you should be kind of Okay, that, that happened, right? But we, life goes on and we got to keep going and people are, get a little bit exhausted of like dealing with that problem. And the problem is, is like, you're probably still in denial at that phase. Maybe you touched a little into no hope, but you're bouncing back and forth probably still. I mean, on average, on average, and averages are really not that helpful because there's so many individual scenarios to this, but on average, this process is two-year journey. It's probably about six, first six months are just denial, bouncing back before denial, no hope. Then you get into no hope. You can be anywhere from, on average, again, you can be there longer or shorter, but you can be there longer, six to 18 months, um, and then eventually wandering into to, uh, to new beginnings. And again, then you can bounce back at any time and go back through a little mini version of it. Um, but Here's what I want to go back to, because here's, I think, a really helpful thing for our moment now, because here's why I see a lot of people in just hanging out in denial and never really grieving well, is because going back again to the point I bookmarked earlier, false bridges. 
in this metaphor, there is a concept of false bridges to go from village one to village three. So denial to new beginnings. Because that's what we want to do. This is not a problem for me, and so I'm just going to go straight into new beginnings. I'm going to integrate this in my life and up and upward and onward, and, and you can't slow down. Nothing's wasted. Let's go forward. And there is there are all sorts of false bridges. Addictions, again, are false bridges. I'm fine. I'm just going to drink the pain away. Uh, or I'm fine. I just, you know, have to watch a show every night to make myself not think before I go to sleep. Uh, or yeah, I'm fine. I just have to sleep all the time. So addictions, escapist behavior, all that can be, those can be false bridges. Um, you can have false bridges of, uh, yeah, well, th this is the one I really want to get into. The false the Christian false bridges. Christians have their own subcategory. Just like everything else, we've made our own subculture. We made our own t-shirts that instead of Reese's says Jesus, instead of, you know, music, like we have like Christian bop, which is like kids bop, except you just change pop, pop lyrics to Christian lyrics and stuff not like that. We have our own Christian subcultures and we have our own Christian false bridges. And the false bridges of Christianity are things like, hey, how about you focus on what's what you're thankful for? Like, look how much God has blessed you. Like, let's focus on thankfulness and gratitude. That is a false bridge. By definition, a false bridge, it looks like it's going to get you to the, the village of new beginnings. In fact, maybe it, it, you can get all the way to looking over into the village of new beginnings. But before you get there, the bridge doesn't connect. And so eventually you have to walk all the way back, back, across the bridge and hang out in denial and then go through no hope. And so, yeah, that's one, uh, that's probably the classic is like, man, like, let's just talk about what we're thankful for. Uh, quoting these verses out of context, like Romans eight twenty eight. Hey, you know, brother, all things work out for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. So this is going to work out for good. That is a damnable false bridge when you're in grief. That is a damnable false bridge. Hey, I'm just pushing onward. You know, I, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm pushing on to the, the kingdom. Oh, missional behavior. Oh, man, this is a major false bridge. I'm just like, I'm going to push on and I'm going to go forward in the mission. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to use my story of grief to tell people about Jesus. Beautiful. Yes and amen. When you are actually in the village of new beginnings, when you're in denial and no hope, that is horrible. And it is not going to work. It is going to just get you to a place where you are not, uh, you, you just can see new beginnings, but you go cold and dead inside because you haven't actually gone through the grief. I mean, this eventually, if you don't go through grief, if you just hang out in these villages long enough and just never go through the process of no hope, you end up going numb. You end up just completely numbing yourself because your, your, your emotions, your mind, they're very brilliant and they're self-protective and if you're just sitting there and no hope for so long and like fighting it back fighting it back but won't actually ever feel it and let it come out and heal it you're just gonna it, your body and your emotions just numb themselves and just stuff it down deep and you kind of become like a low level or maybe high level functioning numbed human being and so that's that's kind of what you get so yeah what are some other good christian false bridges yeah missional behavior just the, yeah, let's press onward. Let's fulfill the Great Commission through this as a story. Again, great if it's, you're actually there. But 
I rarely talk to people who are actually there. I talk to a lot of people who are not there and are using it as a false bridge. Uh, but yeah, let's make this more COVID directly related. All the people that are just like, yeah, like God's using COVID for his glory, uh, using it for your glory, uh, talk also. Yes, true. Yes. God is going to use all things for his glory. He's used more, much more horrific things than COVID-19 for his glory before, but that's not where you need to be. And that's not where you need to hang out. Uh, when you are, are not actually able to like say that with an honest heart. Here's how you know if you can say it with an honest heart. You can say it with an honest heart. <laughs> like your heart actually feels it. And if you don't feel it, if you're trying to force it, if you're trying to believe it because you think it's the right thing to believe, you're not able to say it with an honest heart. And that's okay. That is okay. You're okay. You're not, you're not just, just worthy of damnation. You're human. In fact, here is what I've been telling people to go to in this time when I when I'm hearing them kind of push into like ah you know Romans eight twenty eight and uh, working all things out for good and more blessed than I should be and more blessed than I deserve, sister. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Um, here's where I've been telling them to go to. You need to go to Psalm twenty two. Psalm twenty two is one of my it's one of my favorite passages of scripture because every time I'm in grief, every time I'm in no hope, Psalm 22 is just, it's not a comfort. It's not comforting at all, but it's just like a reminder that David was here. So Psalm 22, I mean, I should have looked up the context before uh, I started recording. It's a Davidic Psalm. Yeah. It's, it, I forget if the original context, like David likely wrote it either when he lost his son or when Absalom, his son, ousted him from the throne, both really horrific moments for him. Um, but yeah, he loses his son Bathsheba. Uh, I mean, David goes through a lot of tragedy, a lot of personal tragedy. And of course, or it's a time when he's like on the run from Saul when he's, you know, he's been anointed king, but now he has to go and live in caves uh, and uh, basically be away from his family and lose years of his life kind of being imprisoned in the wilderness. And it, it, I, I forget which scenario this is for, for David, but pick, pick your favorite one. And he writes Psalm 22. And you'll, you'll recognize it because it's a fairly quoted psalm, particularly by one big key figure of the Bible. Uh, psalm 22 starts like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from my deliverance? And from my words of groaning, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night. Yet I have no rest, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. And so you, I'll stop there. You can hear that kind of fighting for these, this, this place of hope. But really, let's just focus in on that beginning part. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, that's really well known because Jesus quotes that on the cross. If you're sitting there and being like, where have I heard that? You've heard it because Jesus quotes it on the cross. And people make the point in that he is quoting Psalm 22. He's evoking this suffering psalm. Here is the big problem with you being very over familiar with Psalm 22. You believe Psalm 22 says something very much so much nicer 
than it actually says because we're familiar with the translations that have been given to us, which again, these translations are good. They just sometimes don't get at the the emotion behind the words, particularly in, in emotional writings like the Psalms. And this is an example of that. So there's a lot of places in the Bible where they kind of like, the translators, like, I don't know, they just got a little nervous and they're like, I don't want to write that word uh, in my translation. It's not going to sell well, or I don't know. It's just, uh, people are going to think I'm like a little bit too like, you know, vulgar or something like that. And so there's lots of places in the Bible where they clean up the translation a little bit. Uh, one of the famous examples is, is it in Jeremiah or Isaiah where God says, uh, you're, I think it's Jeremiah, your, um, your, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags in my throne room. Filthy rags. Okay. You know, not a bad translation, more accurate translation, menstrual used menstrual rags. Your righteous deeds, your righteous works, O Israel, are like used menstrual rags. There are rags covered with period blood. That is as blatant as you can make it because that's what it is saying, <laughs> actually, in the original language. Used uh, period blood covered rags in my throne room. I have my beautiful throne room and you're just tossing in old menstrual rags and saying, hey, look at all the good stuff I've done. And God's saying, yeah, not, not, not impressive to me. And you're like, wow, Kent, that's gross. Again, this is the author. And so, but the translation was like, I don't want to put period blood covered rags. That, that's just making me uncomfortable. So let's put filthy rags. Filthy rags gets at the idea, but it's not quite as, as you know, vulgar. Psalm 22 is another place where this happens. It, it, I would say, I would argue for this. And uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, okay. It gets at it. It gets at the emotion. But I'm going to now give you a a modern translation of it. But I'm not going to say, I'm not going to actually say the actual words. Because, uh, frankly, it would be a little bit probably too shocking to hear uh, on a, a podcast from a church. So I'm going to, I'm going to make it clear what I think it's saying. And I I hope that we're in a safe enough place that you can know my heart enough to know that that I'm just quoting Bible right now, at least what I think is a more accurate quoting of the Bible. Okay, here we go. Psalm 22, modern translation. My God, my God, you have effing abandoned me. You have effing abandoned me, God. I get that that, you might be hearing that and be like, wow, uh, that's that's really rough. Again, I would argue that's what that's what David wrote. That's the emotion he writes. I mean, that's what he writes when he says, "Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? I am groaning, and you have effing abandoned me. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer." So what really makes this crazy is, again, this is what Jesus quotes on the cross. And I know that's like a level of like, oh, whoa, wait a second. Jesus was without sin. Absolutely. He was without sin. And that's why I think this is so important to know what is actually being said in Psalm 22, because it is not a sin for David and Jesus in their moments of grief, of pain, of no hope, to look up to the skies and say, God, I feel like you have effing abandoned me. 
I feel like you're just not there. God inspired David to write that. He preserved it in the canonization of Scripture through his Spirit and even brought it to the mind of Jesus as Jesus suffered and died on the cross so that he could say to you and me, I'm okay with the fullness of your emotions. I'm okay with you being honest with me about where you're at. I'm okay about you looking up and shaking your fist and saying, you have effing abandoned me. Because that's where you're at. And yes, maybe you're not seeing the million ways that I'm, I'm upholding you and I'm holding all your cells together and all those things and I'm doing glorious things. That's okay. You don't have to be there right now. Just be where you're at. Scream at me. Say the things that you that you're feeling are true. You think are true. Maybe even you'd say at this point you know are true. You're not hearing me, God. You don't hear me. You don't hear anyone. You have effing abandoned me. And I know I, I you're like, okay, Ken, you said it once. Do you have to keep saying it? I, I, I'm just trying to make the point because I just... I, I hear people all the time wanting to say something to that effect, but instead it comes out like, well, I'm blessed. All things work out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's just not where you're at. You don't need to count your blessings right now. You don't need to count what you're thankful for. That's a great thing to do, a wonderful thing to do. And maybe just like David does at the end of Psalm 22, and, and you see Jesus do it other times. I mean, Jesus is sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, I don't want to do the cross. And then he does come to the point, like, but your will. And you can fight and be there maybe, but like, you need to fully be where you're at. And maybe it doesn't look like the time it takes to read a psalm that you get from, I hate you, God, to praise your name. Maybe it takes several months. Maybe it takes several years. I don't know. I can't tell you how long you got to hang out in the village. But there's no other way to get out. There's no way through but through. And I don't know. I, I've just, in my experiences where I've been here, and I've been there. Ooh, I've been there. Ooh, I've been there. Now, experience when I'm there is, yeah, you want to look at God and be like, what are you doing? And if you're there, you are not deserving of being praised. And if you are here, and uh, just, yeah, you cycle through so much. But when you're there, you got to be there. And for me, I think what's held me close to Jesus when I'm there is just the the classic quote from the disciples of when Jesus looks up at them after everybody abandoned him, he said, are you guys going to abandon me too? And they're just like, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. And that's kind of where I feel like I get, I'm just like a place where, man, I'm like just done. And I feel like God's done with me. I feel like I'm done with God. But then I'm just kind of like, yeah, but he's the only one who's got the words of life. Where else am I going to go?
nothing else satisfies. I've looked into the other stuff. It's it's lacking. And so maybe you'd be like, well, what you're describing right now for me is lacking. Yeah, maybe it is. But there's nowhere else. I hope this is helpful. I hope this was not shaking your confidence in, <laughs> in my love for Jesus and my understanding of the scriptures. Because I think it's pretty accurate. But it's not going to sell a lot of coffee cups and bookmarks. But it's Psalm 22. And maybe it's where you need to be right now. Alright. I love you. And I'm praying for you. And if I don't know you, reach out. Because I'd love to pray for you.